If you would stand with me for the reading of Scripture, our reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord that which you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the great... It is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. dictionary defines tried and true this way, proved good, desirable, shown or known to be worthy, tested and proved to be good, found trustworthy through experience or testing. That phrase tried and true came to me. I was looking at the passage today and it started me uh, just sort of exploring on the internet this phrase because, you know, people want to market their companies and their products as tested and trued. Uh, I discovered there's a tried and true clothing company in Charleston, Carolina. And uh, to demonstrate how trustworthy they are on their FAQ page, uh, they answer, can I return products this way? We will gladly refund or exchange all unwashed, unworn, ticketed merchandise in its original condition within five business days of receiving your order when accompanied by the original packing slip and invoice for the price paid. That is not a guarantee that encourages a lot of trustworthiness. We'll refund your money if the product's no good, if you haven't looked at it the wrong way, if you didn't breathe on it. Uh, the, this matters because, you know, we're, we're living in a culture of dishonesty. Uh, I think it was Stephen Colbert who coined the phrase truthiness a number of years ago to sort of describe how particularly politicians and leaders uh, know how to take a part of the truth and shade it and shape it in a way that has a ring of truthiness to it without really being the full truth makes me think of, uh, as well, a book now 30 years old, The Day America Told the Truth. It came out in 1991. Uh, They had surveyed a couple of thousand of Americans from all over the country, and a number of uh, significant things came out. One was this, 91% of Americans admit to lying, and the other 9% are probably lying about that. In our passage, Jesus is talking about trustworthiness, truth, honesty, the words that we say. We're continuing in this series called Foundations, where we're looking at what it means to live in a way of life that leads to true flourishing, full humanity, the goodness that God intends for us. And living in Jesus' kingdom here and now 
and looking forward to the promise that one day God will return to set everything right and how we live in light of that. So it's significant what Jesus is saying to us here in this next passage in what's known as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. If you haven't, you can go ahead and turn there. It's on page 963 of the Bibles in front of you here in the room or uh, whatever you use to look up God's Word. We want to look today at three things related to this issue of making vows and oaths. The, The purpose of oaths, the problem with oaths, and some principles around oaths and truth telling. The purpose, some problems, and some principles. Because Jesus wants us to be people of truth. Because he is the truth. So uh, let's start in verse 33. Hear these words of Jesus. Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, here we have the fourth of six statements that Jesus is making in this pattern of not contrast so much, but addition to what God has already said. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And and remember, the significance of that is Jesus is assuring us. He's claiming an authority for himself. He's saying, what I'm telling you is of equal value and authority as what God said in the Old Testament. You need to listen to what I say because it's as valid, as binding, as significant, as authoritative as everything else God has said in his word. He's raising the bar at the same time that he also wants to look deep down into our hearts and lives because that's kind of the whole point of this sermon, right? Jesus is not so much concerned with outward performance as the attitude and the motivation of our hearts that will result in a changed life from the inside out. He's focusing on the heart. That's why, you know, for example, Jesus is saying, look, God is not just concerned about you not committing murder. He cares that you actually love people, that you forgive one another, that you get rid of vengeance and anger and condescension. God's not just concerned that you don't commit adultery. He cares about issues of lust and uncontrolled desire in your heart. And here today, Jesus is addressing our words, that God is not just concerned with the words that you say outwardly, but that our lives reflect truth and integrity. So, what we want to look at first then is the purpose, the the purpose of oaths or vows. It, It is giving a solemn promise to indicate that you will tell the truth, that you will accomplish what you have said. It's it's given to add emphasis to your words. We, We make promises, we make vows, because the sense is that our words don't have enough weight on their own to convince people that we actually will do what we say. Maybe you've been tried and there's some question whether you're true. And so you invoke, you call on a higher authority to guarantee, to add weight to what you're saying. You know, God is my witness, or I swear on the Bible, or I swear on a stack of Bibles. Did you ever wonder how high the stack has to be for it? Is it, is it as high as the pile of unread books in my office? 
or, you know, on my mother's grave. Or related to that, sometimes we may call down a curse, invoke judgment on ourselves if we don't do what we promise. One that I heard growing up that nobody in first hour really connected to, maybe you heard this, was if I'm lying, I'm dying. Maybe a few. Uh, on my mother's grave, or you said something more like this, cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a, it had to be a red hot needle in my, well, not just any needle, but you know, if you're really serious, stick a red hot needle in my eye. If I'm lying, this is what I'm calling down on myself. Sometimes we just add extra words to, to try and give validity to what we're saying. Oh, you better believe it. Would I lie to you? Can't you trust me? Or, or maybe, you know, it's the pinky promise, right? You, can't, you cannot break a pinky promise. That's like the ultimate for some reason. In the Old Testament, they didn't really have our complicated legal system and courts and, and contracts to, to force people to keep their words. So they used oaths or vows to seal agreements to confirm a decision that was made. How, how do I know that I can trust you? How do I know that you're going to do what you say you're going to do? The agreement is sealed with an oath, and the idea is that you're asking God to hold us accountable before him to one another and to bring judgment on us if we don't do what we say we're going to do. For instance, when Abraham is getting near the end of his life and uh, he, he charges his servant in Genesis 24, swear by the Lord God of heaven and the God of earth that you will not take a wife for my son from these Canaanites among whom I live, but you will go to my country and my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. You, you hear the, the, the vow there, the promise. I'm calling on the God of heaven and earth to be a witness that you will do what, you, what I'm charging you to do. Uh, oaths were often used to solve disputes as well, too. Two parties that weren't able to get along, they would make an oath. Uh, a little earlier in Abraham's own life, he, he has this conflict between uh, some men from Abimelech, who's uh, one of the Canaanite kings in the area, and uh, they prevent Abraham from watering his sheep at this well. And Abraham says, well, no, this is actually my well. I dug this. I swear to you with God as my witness that I dug this well and I'm providing, in fact, a, a flock of sheep as a guarantee, as a payment. In, in other words, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. And, and that's a witness, a guarantee that what I'm saying is true. When, when we make oaths or vows, we are involving, we're invoking someone or something greater than ourselves to add credibility to the promise, to hold us accountable, and to call down judgment on ourselves if we don't do what's promised. So why is Jesus bringing this up? I mean, this is an established pattern in the Bible. What's the problem? What's the problem with oaths? Well, problem number one, we're all liars. We can't be trusted. I mean, we, we exaggerate. I mean, we even talk about this like, you know, uh, fishermen are noted for being untrustworthy, right? Where's Matt Sefko? Oh, come on, the one that got away? You, we went out fishing and it was, it was this big, right? Even bigger, it was this big. Every time you tell the story, it gets bigger. We, we give stereotypes to people for their dishonesty, like, you know, the stereotype of used car salesmen. Oh, this baby, cream puff, only driven by a little old lady to church. 
But the reality is it's not just fishermen or politicians or used car salesmen. It's all of us, right? We tell partial truths. We shade the truth. We focus on the the part of the story that makes us look good, and maybe we just leave out some of the other details. We promise, and, and then we often don't do what we say. So we use oaths to add weight to our words to make us believable. And God, knowing that about us, even provided in the Old Testament for this taking of oaths. In Deuteronomy 10, Moses says this, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. So is Jesus saying, okay, God's changed his mind, or we're we're now just throwing that out? I think it's good to ask, is this a permission or a command that God is saying? Remember, Jesus has just gone through this passage on, for example, marriage and divorce. And he says, look, God did not command you to divorce. He allowed you to divorce. His intent was that husbands and wives would stay married for life. But he allowed you to divorce knowing the reality of how life works in a broken world. And I wonder if that's something similar to what's going on here, that God's intent is that our speech would be trustworthy and honest, that we would not need to make vows, but that we would simply do what we say. But if we are going to swear, we recognize that we're invoking God in whatever we say. Because there are plenty of verses about warning us against promising and then not doing it. For example, in Leviticus 19, another passage that Jesus maybe has in mind here, you shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. In other words, don't bring my name into it, God says, if you're not going to do what you say. But here's the problem. We always bring God's name into everything that we say and do. Back in Matthew 5, verse 33, if you're still there, Jesus says, You've heard it said, don't swear by heaven, for it is the throne of God. By the earth, it's his footstool. By Jerusalem, it's the city of the great king. Don't take an oath by your head, because you can't make one hair of your head white or black. Right? When Jesus says, you shall not swear falsely, but perform to the Lord what you have sworn, that's not a quote. It's sort of a, it's sort of a summary of these passages that Jesus is alluding to. And, and most commentators agree that he also has in mind the third commandment in Exodus 20. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, when we hear that phrase, don't take the name of the Lord in vain, what do we tend to think of? We tend to think of cursing. We tend to think of blaspheming. We tend to think of, you know, throwing out the name of Jesus sort of casually as an interjection or, you know, making promises lightly in God's name. But the Hebrew verb there actually means literally to bear or to carry or to take. It's not a verb that's actually used of speech. It's it's a verb of action and movement. 
God is saying, do not care, do, do not carry, do not bear my name falsely, worthlessly, dishonestly, because you carry my name on you. You represent God. You are made in his image. You're his reflection in this world of what God looks like, and even more so as his covenant children. We belong to him. Everything that we say and do has God's name attached to it. We are Christians. We belong to Christ. We bear the name of Jesus. You have been adopted into his family by faith, and you are his offspring. And just like we teach our children in our homes about values and reflecting what's important to us, we say, hey, we don't treat people like that because we're Schultzes, we're, we're Sefcos, we're Klotzes. We're, that's not how we treat people in this family. That's what God is saying here. See, vows and oaths are a problem because they're suggesting that's what will make me honest. When I make this vow, now you can trust me. No, no. Jesus is saying, no, you are a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. You ought to be believable all the time. You don't need oaths to be trustworthy because you're my people and, and you're made to reflect what I'm like. And the second problem with oaths is this. Uh, we like oaths, but we're always looking for loopholes right? The problem with O's is we always want to find loopholes in them. Maybe, maybe you've been in a situation like this. I mean, I remember this both as a kid and as a parent at times. You go to the amusement park, the museum, or the theater, and, you know, your parent or an aunt or an uncle or grandparent, and, and you've got an eight-year-old and a six-year-old and a four-year-old, and the sign says, kids three and under, free. I think, hmm, which one of them can I pass off as a three-year-old? If you scrunch down, really, you know, like just, just sort of don't let them see that you've already got a beard coming in. And, and we, can, we can pass you off as, you know, under 12 and get half-price admission. And, you know, and the kid's like, I'm not three, I'm five. Shut up, shut up. I got $8 on the line here. That's why Jesus says this in, in Matthew 5, 34. Again, don't swear by heaven, don't swear by earth, don't swear by Jerusalem, don't, don't swear by your head. You have no control over any of those things, for one. And secondly, don't look at those as potential loopholes to exploit because that's what the religious leaders in Jesus' day were doing. The Mishnah, the Jewish commentary on the law, has pages and pages of commentary on what oaths that you made were binding and what oaths were sort of, eh, maybe God doesn't care so much about this one. For example, if you swore on Jerusalem, you were not obligated to keep your oath. But if you swore toward Jerusalem, well, that was an oath you, had, you were obligated to keep. And just pages and pages of this kind of casuistry and, and you know, loophole finding, this complicated system where you know, lesser oaths could be broken. They were compartmentalizing their lives. They were, they were trying to create spaces, you know, where God's allowed into this part of my life and I'm obligated to obey what I said in this part, but over here, that's kind of a carve-out, right? And, and God's not over in this part of my life. And I don't have to be responsible for what I promised over there. And, and I think like those religious leaders, we can 
we can maybe do that. You know, maybe I invite God partly into my family. You know, yeah, oh God, help me raise my kids, help them learn to obey me, help them be truthful. And what, my truthfulness? My obedience? Uh, that's different. Or, you know, God, I want you in my business. I want you in my work. I, I want you at school to, to help me be successful, to help me get the outcome I want. I'm not so sure I want you telling me how I'm supposed to do my business or how I go about getting the grades or the recognition or the starring role or the starting place on the team. I want you in my finances, God, to bless me and to provide and, and make sure I have all the stuff I need. God, you can be in charge of the income and, and I'll be in charge of how it goes out. I don't necessarily want you in that part. I'm compartmentalizing. And I think it's part of what Jesus is getting at when he talks about swearing by heaven. Well, that's God's throne. Swearing by earth, that's his footstool. Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Your own head, you have no control over what color your hair even comes out. Do you see what Jesus is getting at here? God is in everything. He's over everything. There is no part of your life or anywhere that you can go or anything that you can say that God is not in, that God is not over. What, what fence are you going to build that God can't come over? What space are you going to create that God can't get into? Jesus is saying we can't compartmentalize God that way. Don't use vows as a way of saying, like, no, I'm really serious about what I say over here, but, you know, the normal everyday stuff, I've got God blocked out of that. That's the problem with oaths. We, we think we're adding extra weight to our words when we swear, now you can trust me because God is behind what I'm saying about this thing. But whether we use some formula or not, Jesus is saying God is behind and in everything that we say. Because we belong to him. We're his and it's his world. And everything that we say is involving him and invoking him in some way. Because anything that you swear by, even if you don't swear by anything, it involves God because he's made it all. And we belong to him. So what are some principles that we take from this? We've seen the, kind of the purpose, why those O's existed, and some of the problems. So what do we do with this? What are some principles? Well, first, it's okay to swear. Yeah, no, in this sense, in this sense. I, I think, I mean, I think it's okay for us to make vows, cautiously, carefully, and in a limited way. Now, there are plenty of Christians that look at this verse where Jesus says, simply let your yes be yes and your no be no and don't swear vows. And, and they take that literally. And I think those people are to be commended for their consistency and, and taking Jesus seriously. But I think there are times when it's legitimate and appropriate to take an oath. The government may require you to swear an oath when you give testimony in a trial, if you serve on a jury, or if you serve in the military. At weddings, we call God to be a witness to the vows that we are making to help us keep them. God himself also makes oaths. The writer of the Hebrews says this, when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater than himself, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and I will multiply you. So it's not as though I don't think this is an absolute rule because the apostle Paul made oaths. He made vows. He, he writes in Romans, for example, I 
God is my witness that without ceasing I am praying for you. And Jesus himself respected oaths. After he was arrested, he's brought before the high priest Caiaphas, who who asked him, aren't you going to answer all these false accusations? And Jesus doesn't say anything. But then Caiaphas says, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And that's when Jesus says, it is as you say. Jesus respected this oath that even a sinful high priest put on him. So I think we would say this is not an absolute prohibition. It's okay to swear, but it's better to swear cautiously, only for specific purposes. It should not be a habit. It should not be something we have to rely on to give weight to our words. But I don't think we're wrong if if we swear in those kinds of limited ways. We're better if we don't swear because we don't need to which kind of goes to the a second principle. Let truth be on your lips. Let truth be on your lips. Jesus says in verse 37, literally, let your yes, yes, and no, no. Anything more than that comes from evil or from the evil one. You know, the Bible is filled with verses about us being people of truthful, trustworthy speech. We heard in our call to worship, Lord, who may ascend your holy hill? Who may dwell in your presence? He who speaks the truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue or take up reproach against his friend, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Someone who says, I will do it even when it costs me. Proverbs has this fascinating verse. By the truth, and do not sell it. What an interesting turn of phrase that that we would really benefit from meditating on. Buy the truth and do not sell it. I I think it's getting at this idea that, that we love truth and integrity so much that we can see the temptation that I could surrender truth to get wealth or power or position or privilege or recognition. But I would rather hold on to the truth and keep it than give it up, than sell it in order to have those other things that would maybe make life easier or more comfortable for me. And God tells us this, I think, because he knows the ways that we are good at speaking the truth in a way that isn't really totally truthful, right? We, we all know how to tell the truth in a way that, you know, makes ourselves look good, that makes ourselves, you know, that I can present myself as vulnerable and humble in a way that elicits sympathy and, and uh, give a favorable impression of myself. We tend to all probably limit our intake of information and facts to the people that we already agree with and the information that we already like and the narratives that we already believe. So it's not that we're not taking in truth, we're just, you know, closing off maybe other truths that might challenge us or threaten things that we want to believe. It's not easy. So so how do we live as people with truth on our lips? I I think we can start simply by asking, acknowledging our problem and asking the Holy Spirit to empower us. Saying, Lord, I 
I, I want to hear truth. I, I want to be a person of truth, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it challenges me, even if it humbles me, even if it convicts me. I want truth. I want to be a person of truth. I want to be known as a person of truth. I want to speak truth. Third principle, let your integrity be your credibility. Let your integrity be your credibility. Meaning that the the way that we live our lives are such that people believe us without us needing to swear vows or make promises or give oaths. They believe that your yes is yes and your no is no. That your character, your conduct is backed up in such a way that your integrity is all you need to be credible. You don't have to make an oath. You don't have to pinky promise. You don't have to swear on whatever it is. You're known as a person who keeps your word. And I, I know I fall short of this. I, I was just thinking back to uh, a few weeks ago when man, I remember uh, Amelia had something that she wanted me to do and she reminded me of it, my wife, and that, and that she reminded me of it again. And then she reminded me of it a third time. And by the third time, I started getting really frustrated. Like, I, you've reminded me of this three times. I told you I'm going to do it. Why do you think she had to remind me three times? Because apparently there was some concern that even having said three times I was going to do it, maybe my credibility wasn't quite up to snuff. And in fact, the fact that I can't remember now what she was asking me to do only adds to that problem. It was something I was supposed to do, and I'm pretty sure I did it. Sometimes we have to go back to people and and just honestly say, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said I was going to do it, and I didn't. I didn't make it a priority. I didn't write it down. I I, I didn't commit myself in the way that I needed to to do what I said I was going to do. I was wrong. And trust and credibility is something that gets built up over time. As somebody said, Trust is hard to gain and easy to lose, and we all need God's help. Our speech is to be solid and trustworthy, simple, clear, honest. What would it look like if truth, if honesty was was on our lips all the time? We'd be known for being reliable, right? We would need to borrow authority from someone or something else to, to give weight to our words, We'd be known as people of the truth even when it costs us. That's what Jesus' kingdom looks like, right? That's the picture that he's painting. In Jesus' kingdom, you never have to wonder if people will do what they say. What a a refreshing, life-giving way to live. You don't have to second-guess people's motives or intentions. You don't have to try to read between the lines of what they're saying to figure out what they really mean. You don't, you don't have to worry, am I being lied to? Can I trust this person? What, what are they saying about me behind my back? Is my character, is, is, am I safe or in their mouth? Is my name safe in their mouth? Think about how that, not having to worry about that, all the peace and the confidence that that produces, it set our hearts at rest. That's, that's the kingdom of Jesus life and truthfulness and flourishing. I mean, as Christians, we claim to to know God's truth, to be people who are shaped by the truth, people who 
follow the one who is truth. And that means we ought to be known most of all as people with a commitment to honesty, integrity, truthfulness. When it's inconvenient, when the facts aren't what we would like, when reality challenges our narratives. You know, everything that Jesus is saying here flows again out of this opening picture of the kinds of people that he's inviting to find life in his kingdom, the meek, the humble, the gentle, people who are poor in spirit, mourners, those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Jesus says they will be satisfied. It's a reminder that we have to give that grace to one another for all the ways that we fail and that we cannot do this on our own. We have to be empowered with the help of Christ, who is the one who is faithful and true. We trust Jesus. We trust his words because of his character, because of his authority. He speaks the truth always. Jesus is the friend who will never fail, the friend who will never leave, the one who will never forsake us, the one who will never betray us, the one who never changes. So we trust what he says because of his character. Near the end of his life, a leader of God's people, Joshua, says this in Joshua 23. You know in your hearts and in your souls, every one of you, that not one word has failed of all the good promises that the Lord your God made concerning you. All of them have come to pass for you. Not one of God's words has failed. Not one of God's promises has failed. What a beautiful Savior. May that be more and more true of us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for this time together in your word, how your word speaks into the reality of our lives. Oh, Father, we love you. We pray that we would have truth on our lips. Lord, that we would be people of honesty. I pray for marriages, for relationships, for families, for workplaces, that, that we would be people of integrity and honesty and reliability. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would tear down some of the fences that we've put up to block you out of parts of our lives. Father, I, I pray there are people here today that you're calling home to yourself who maybe for the first time recognize their need for a Savior, that you would draw them to you and help them see in you the one who is faithful and good. Father, maybe there are people who have accepted you, but these words of Jesus have hit home and they can see how they're not living lives of honesty and integrity. Lord, all of us recognize from your word how we need to change and grow, how we want to look more like Jesus. Oh, help us. Holy Spirit, would you move here now? Would you do your work of convicting and saving and establishing and comforting, encouraging, empowering? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.